Hello and welcome to the Global City Mission Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Global City Mission Initiative. This is Seth Bouchel, GCMI's team leader in New York. And today we've got Andy Johnson again speaking on the topic, Things I Wish I Knew. How are you doing, Andy? Doing great, Seth. Thanks for asking. So, Andy, this is something of a series that we, we try to get everybody on when we interview on the podcast because I think you, know, you can teach skills in ministry, you can teach strategy, but it's really difficult to teach perspective. And a lot of the most valuable lessons in ministry come from hard knocks and failure. Yeah. Uh, and the series is prompted by something that happened a couple of years ago to me in a training. I was doing uh, kind of combined evangelism ethnography training with a bunch of new missionaries in New York. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, you know, in the Q&A, if you were in our position, what do you know now that you wish you knew starting out? Yeah. And so that's the question that we like to ask people when we've got them on. Mm-hmm. Um, so give us a little bit of background on, on your ministry tenure. Uh, what's your experience? What, what have you been doing? What do you do now? Okay. Uh, well, just real briefly, uh, my bride and I spent 13 years living overseas as missionaries to the Dagara tribe of Burkina Faso, West Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, God blessed us to see just some, some really incredible stuff that he did there. It, it, was, it was a ton of fun. Uh, we really enjoyed our ministry there. Uh, but on completion of that, we moved back to the States. Um, I was a missions minister at the Landmark Church in Montgomery, Alabama for four and a half years. And uh, about four or five months ago, I landed here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I work with an org called the Mission Resource Network. Mm-hmm. And uh, there I do church equipping and prayer coordination. Okay. So I'm, I don't really care if it's broadly or specific to your work in Burkina Faso, though I know you've got a, a lot of great stories to tell out of that. Um, but if if you were starting over in your ministry, mm-hmm. what do you know now that that you wish you'd known at the beginning? Uh, well, there's a couple of different things. Probably the biggest thing that I would say to myself, I, I would say you have got to trust the promises of God. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, he, you know, he tells us that that he will do more than we can ask or even imagine, hmm. um, and that that if we present people with the Christ, if we tell them stories of the Christ and of of who God is and why he made the world and how he made the world and how it's supposed to be and and how it's wound up, that that it doesn't have to be what it is, that there's a better alternative in this life and in the next. That if we get that story out there in a way that makes sense, in a a way that's told in a language and with, with cultural understandings that make sense, People are going to believe it. Hmm. I, I'm still amazed when I think back on those early days of of teaching where we just began with God created the world and we ended with Jesus sent us out to be the church. The number of people that just believed it, uh, just watching, watching that light come into their eyes where where you, you see the moment where they figured out he's actually talking about me and my family here. Mm. That, that this is a this is a real thing, and so to trust that it's not about it's not about fancy methods, it's not about the the name of your disciple making what, whatever you want to call it, it's not about the acronym that you use. What matters is getting people in positions to encounter the Word of God, and then trusting that He's really going to do something great, mm. uh, and then trusting that that as He calls His people, it's not going to look like where you grew up, mm. and that's okay. That, that can be a really exciting thing to watch the, the spirit take root in, in communities in ways that you never expected. Sure. Now, both of those things resonate with me in our work in New York. But let me throw a, a hypothetical person to you and okay. see how that would work itself out. Um, I know a lot of people that I encountered doing 
disciple making strategies in North America would say, you know, I'm constantly telling people about Jesus. I'm constantly sharing and I, I'm not seeing those promises come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, though hopefully trusting they will, but they're discouraged mm-hmm. and, and perhaps disoriented. And I think on the other end of that, a lot of people that I know at working in this particular stream of ministry would say they've already made a shift from where they grew up, but maybe it's difficult to trust that it's okay if what fruit God produces doesn't look like the strategy they're trying to yeah. form. And so it may not be the church of origin so much as the church they imagine planting. Right that they're having difficulty coming to grips with it, it mm-hmm. uh, evolving differently. Yeah. Um, can you speak to both of those and say, you know, how, how your experience in ministry informs maybe what you would tell them and, and pastor them in? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, I would say that I would say that if somebody told them you do X and Y and Z and you're going to get this, mm. uh, that they lied to them. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is the action of the Holy spirit. Mm. And God is the one who is always calling people to him. And if somebody told you that if you follow this formula, you will always get this, then I'm sorry. Uh, but you were misinformed. Yeah. Uh, God is the one doing these things. Hmm. Uh, because the truth is, I think he works through fabulously misguided and off-base principles at times. And the very best laid principles <laughs> can, can come to nothing. And it's, yeah. it's, and so we do our part. Um, so, um, to that though, I would also add that, um, To that, I would I would also add that an over concern with with producing something that you feel like you ought to have done mm. is always going to disappoint you. Yeah. Um, that that if you feel like somebody's standing over you, looking at you, saying you should have produced this by now, mm. uh, that that doesn't that doesn't help. Mm. Um, um, and so you. You were called to, to live into who God's called you to be. Um, a, a second thing that I would say to that person is take the time to learn your context. Mm. Um, I'm, I grew up in small town Texas and now I'm in big town Texas and I'm, I'm going about trying to learn how big city people think. Mm. When I was, when I landed in Montgomery, Alabama, I set about learning how to smoke meat and I set about learning how to, how to cheer for the Crimson Tide and all those kinds of things. I set about learning language and culture in Burkina Faso. I sure had to do that. And so I believe we need to be doing that in our communities. We need to be students of the people that we're around. We mm-hmm. need to be asking the questions of what are what are the things that, that they really care about? What are the things that matter to them? Among the Dagara, men were not at peace. They, they were angry mm-hmm. all the time. And when, when they encountered Christ, they became peaceful. Women lived in fear. They lived in fear of their husbands. They lived in fear of the gods. And when they came to Christ, they noticed that the spirit made them no longer afraid. He brought them courage. Those are the things that resonated with Dagara people. Mm. I think that if you find yourself in small town Kansas or if you find yourself in SoCal and trapped in traffic in Los Angeles, you need to be studying the people that you're around and asking the questions of what are the things that they're afraid of? What are the things that motivate them? What are the things that excite them? Mm. Where are the areas of their life where they're, where they're already experiencing community? Mm. Uh, what are, where are those communities that feed them, that give them life? Yeah. And, and we need to, we need to build the sidewalks where there's already the footpaths. Mm. I like that phrasing. I'm going to steal that at some point. By all means. <laughs> I stole it from somebody else. <laughs> yeah, almost all of our stuff is stolen, but I'd like to claim it. 
Um, so talking about this, going circling back around to your point about being okay with it looking different than you might expect uh-huh. or, or different than what you might have grown up with or come out of or have trained to start, whatever that is, how do you manage your own anxiety on that? Hmm. What, what's the self-talk, the, the disciplines that help you live in that space? Well, there are a few words that I that I wind up telling myself all the time. Hmm. All the time, I have to sell, t- have to tell myself, "Do not fear." Uh, hmm. the, the, consistently, the way the enemy tempts me is to fear. Uh, and so, when I look at in Burkina Faso, when I looked at churches that looked really, really not American Church of Christ, and and saw these faith communities springing up that that were glorious in their degaredness. Um, I had to tell myself, don't be afraid mm. a lot. And then I'd tell myself not to be afraid again. Uh, a core layer of that is to trust that, that God is going to do something cool if we are people who are opening ourselves up to him. Um, something else that I would do, I would encourage you to have really good friends among the new believers, mm. to have people that you trust, people that um, you go to for counsel, uh, one of the one of the most gratifying experiences of my life. I went through a very dry period on the mission field. Oddly enough, probably, well, my driest time spiritually was during my graduate degree in theology. Second driest <laughs> time spiritually yeah. in my life was was kind of a middle period on the mission field. A lot of family stuff was happening. I, I was just really struggling, and I, and I went to a, a a spiritual director and I asked him what I need to do to pop myself out of this. And mm. one, he said, "You don't do the popping." The, the, sure. the father pops. That sounds like a spiritual directory. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the second thing was, he said, find a Dagara believer and submit yourself to him. Hmm. Go to him and ask him to pray for you. So that led to about a, a year's worth of every other week going to my friend Basile. He was about a 70 year old Dagara man. And we sat under his mango tree in his yard. And I talked to him about the miscarriages we were having. I talked to him about my insecurities as a man. I talked to him about how sometimes I feel like a bad teammate and how sometimes I feel like a bad student of the word and, and all these things. And he's a pretty new Christian. I mean, he'd only been a Christian a couple of years. Mm. Um, but the combination of his 70 plus years of life and his couple of years spent turning away from positions of authority that had been granted him through the traditional religion mm. Boy, it made him the perfect guy to, mm. to speak life into me. And as I looked at his church, I think in coming to know him and trust the Holy Spirit in Basile, I think it enabled me to trust that the church that Basile was a part of is a faithful expression of Christ-likeness lived out among that tribe. Mm. Getting to know the individual made me okay with the group. Yeah, mm. that's a powerful story. Uh, let me shift gears for a second. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about you is that you're very theologically thoughtful. And I know, and I've been guilty of the fact that in the missions world a lot, uh, theology can be seen as at best perhaps not very relevant yeah. because people like method and sometimes tricks and tips. And sometimes theology can even be thought of as sort of elitist or, or maybe anti-missions. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I say a lot to our, our church leaders in New York, they say, you know, what you believe about God determines what it means to be godly. Mm. Um, That's good. Can I still add some? Please, yeah. Okay. We'll just exchange. Yeah. But you know, if if you believe that God 
hates sin and cannot stand to be in its presence, well, then godly people can't stand to be around sinners. Right. Um, and one of the things that I am convinced about is that God is not anxious about the state of kingdom and mission in the world. Right. And so it is a godly posture not to be concerned about the state of kingdom and mission in the world because God's not. Mm-hmm. I would be curious out of your own experience, because I, I think that especially talking about the, you know, don't be afraid, you know, I, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think you can only white knuckle that for so long yeah. in terms of your own emotions to really see a, a better posture, a healthier posture probably requires a theological perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, how would you parse that out in terms of saying, what is it that, what is it that you believe about God? What is it that, that you see about what God is doing in the world that helps you have a more godly perspective on your own ministry mm-hmm. in relation to things you're talking about? Okay. Uh, that, that's a really great question. I think I see what you're asking. Um, I'll give you a, a for instance. Um, the Dagara traditional religion believes that there is one creator God. Mm-hmm. He made the world. He's neither good nor evil. He's just the, the guy that made the world. Um, in their creation myth, a woman sinned, she became prideful, angered him, and he turned his back on the world forever, mm-hmm. abandoning it to the gods, abandoning it to the demons, abandoning it to our own devices. Um, we were able to come in and having learned that creation myth through through our language learning and culture learning time, we were able to come in and say, you have heard it said that this, but here's, here's the really great news. Mm-hmm. He didn't turn his back on the world. He, he gave of himself to come um and one of the things that i learned is the sheer joy and excitement about a god who loves Mm. um to watch my friends come to the realization that god isn't neutral god loves us he is for us revealed in myself that having grown up um i I grew up in, in a wonderful church and a wonderful family but somewhere along the line, I had developed this theology that, okay, God is good, but he's pretty severe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, I, even though I, I could preach great sermons on grace, I could, I could quote large portions of Romans to you. I still had this belief down in the bottom of me that God was waiting to judge me. Mm-hmm. And walking alongside these, belie- these, these brand new or coming, even, even coming to believe people, as they realized that the creator God is not neutral. Mm. He is unabashedly for us and loves us. Um, walking with them as they came to those realizations and learned that brought me along with them. Mm. Uh, and so my, my personal theology was changing as theology was becoming a thing mm. for the Dagar. And now, now one of the things that I, I guess another thing that I learned from them, um, you know, when you're in grad school, you always wind up taking systematic theology classes. Sure. Um, <laughs> where we live, they practiced unsystematic theology and uh, just the interconnectedness of all of these things that that they weren't interested in studying God. Once they once they understood that there was a God who had a Holy Spirit and a son and they weren't interested in talking about one without the other hmm. anymore. It's all about community sure. because the truth is. You don't really talk about a Dagara person. You talk about the Dagara. You talk about Dagara in community. You're, mm. Who you are is in part defined by the people around you. Mm. And, and so there wasn't any sense for them to, to study God apart from Jesus. Why, why would you do that? It didn't make sense. And 
So that's another part of my theology that developed that, man, you cannot write down three columns and put one for God and one for the spirit and one for Jesus there. You can't know the one without knowing the other. Uh, and so them bringing me along in those what I consider to be very orthodox things. I, I think there were I think there were some heretical understandings in my heart of a God that was was waiting to bring a hammer down, of a God that could be studied in a vacuum apart from the person of Jesus. I think those are kind of heretical things that the orthodoxy of these brand new believers brought me more in line with Scripture. Hmm. So those successes, those growths, enabled me to trust them in other things too. Hmm. They got that right when I had gotten it wrong for a very long time. Yeah. So maybe they're getting some of these other things right too. Hmm. No, that's I think that's critical in in ways that you know I'm not super effusive, but I would, I would want to affirm pretty strongly out of my experience. Talk about quickly because you you've done the missionary tenure in the field, mm-hmm. but you also had to do reentry with your family, transition back out of the mission field. Uh, same question, but but focused in more on that experience. If you were, if you were coming back again mm-hmm. to North America, transitioning out of how what, ten years, twelve years, we were thirteen overseas, thirteen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you know now about that process that you wish you knew then? Wow, um, that's a really that's that's a good question and an important one to ask. Um, so as I look at our reentry. One thing I would say, seek out the fellowship of other people who have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, where we landed in Montgomery, uh, I had two missionary friends that mattered the world to me. Totally different guys. Uh, one of them, uh, his mission team had unfortunately been kicked out of East Africa. He landed back in Montgomery, was very disoriented. Just an awful reentry for the guy. I mean, they had 48 hours to shut stuff down and get out of the country. Just mm-hmm. brutal. Um on the other hand, it just so happened that the the director of New Tribes Mission International mm-hmm. happened to live in Montgomery, Alabama. And this this guy breathed life into me. Now, now he was uh, he's in his early 70s. He's from the Faroe Islands and he did all of his service in the Philippines. Mm. I was in my late 30s, did all my service in West Africa. And yet he and I had things in common that that I didn't have with the other people around me. So I would say one biggie is to seek out the fellowship of other people who've done it and come back. Hmm. Uh, You're going to identify with them in ways that, that are going to surprise you. Another thing that I would say is that it is unfair to judge your new relationships in the light of your old teammate relationships. Hmm. Uh, At least in the context where we were, there were no Anglophones around for a really long time. So if we wanted to speak English with somebody, if I wanted to, to 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 play football, if I wanted to play catch, if I wanted to worship, if I wanted to work, my teammates, if it was in English, they were it. I mean, sure. There wasn't anybody else around for our village for a long time. So the depth of those relationships, I don't ever anticipate reproducing. Sure. Because I don't think I'm ever going to be in this, unless God takes us back to the field, which I hope, unless he takes us back to the field, I don't ever anticipate having one set of people fulfill all those relationship needs again. Sure. Because they're rising to meet a need. That's right. Yeah. Whereas here in the States, we have our church friends and we have work friends and we have neighborhood friends and we have fantasy football friends. It is an unfair thing to prejudge all of those relationships as shallow 
and not going anywhere yeah. because they don't measure up to the depth of those other friendships that were built over a dozen years of, of really challenging but exciting ministry together. Sure. Uh, it's You're setting yourself up for failure and you're setting yourself up to feel really alone hmm. if you don't make that mind shift of recognizing that a new friendship that's only in one area of your life can be really fulfilling and can be really exciting if you just give it a chance. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me to, to hear the commonality between your two things because it sounds like going to the field, there is a theme in terms of openness to see what God is going to develop mm-hmm. that doesn't meet your expectations and a sort of seeking out and then even submitting to uh, mentors and, and formative people who have the kind of life experience that, that needs to help you and your transition perspective. Mm. And that same thing is true if we're mm. a reentry as well, that, you know, that sort of openness that these relationships are going to look like what you had in the field. Yeah. And neither is your church and religious experience, but sort of an openness to let those be what they can. Yeah. And then again, with, with your missionary mentor seeking out those people with the life experience and wisdom to help, you in a, in a transition perspective. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I hear mm. a theme there. No, it certainly wasn't. But boy, that was a great, great job of teasing that out. That's that's helpful to me. I appreciate it. Anything else that you would add uh, in terms of you know if you're doing it over again? Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else that you'd add that you wish that you'd known? Um, I would have told myself going into it, it is absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. Every every sacrifice that you make, all of the well, the hardship of raising funds, all of the hard goodbyes, um, the the gift of living squarely in the middle of God's will for your life, man, it's better than anything you might think you're giving up. Uh, so I would I would have told myself, man, don't worry about it. You in in the arithmetic of eternity, you're choosing well. I'm gonna steal that as well. Uh. Well, Andy, thank you again for being with us today. And uh, that's a lot of wisdom, and I, I hope it's a blessing to our listeners. So yeah. thanks. Thanks, Seth. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us today on the Global City Mission podcast. You can learn more about GCM at our website, globalcitymission.org, or you can visit us on our Facebook and Twitter.